Just a quick note that the financial and business information you're going to hear in this episode is for informational purposes only. It is not to be relied upon to make any lending or business decisions as it does not consider your individual circumstances. Yeah, it's a good mixture around here. I really like it with the hills and then, yeah, you've got plenty of creeks and trees and a lot of people out west come up here and look at the smaller paddocks and wonder how we do it, but I don't know, it's something different, so... Matt Flick is striding through his parents' farm near Inverell in central western New South Wales. On either side of us lay their far-reaching fields of sorghum and mung beans. At the centre of it all sit a couple of huge industrial-sized sheds. This is where Matt keeps his contracting equipment. Um, he's walking out past the shed. Got our truck up there, started out with, and yeah, spray rig over here, just waiting for the um, country to dry out to spray some sorghum. Got a spray rig there already going at the moment as well, so yeah, just need a bit more sunshine. Ah, uh, this is the latest toy in the toy box. Matt walks up to a big, shiny new spray rig truck, sitting a couple of metres off the ground. Ah, uh, yeah, bought this one about three weeks ago, so it's, um, no one else has driven it yet but me, so it's um, nice to be the boss and just say, well, this is mine. Yeah, it's they get up a bit, not quite to the half a million, 600,000 that they're paying for the big ones out west, but, yeah, it was a very high 300, so... Yeah, it's um, a lot of money to try and pay back and but gives you a bit more incentive to get out of bed in the morning and keep working. I'm Sam Lloyd and you're listening to Propagate, a podcast devoted to young farmers and fishers. This season is for aspiring farmers who aren't inheriting a farm and would love to buy one one day. We're exploring different pathways to ownership and chatting to farmers going their own way, like Matt Flick. I've always wanted to be or get into farming. Um, grew up on a farm. It's just all that I've ever known, really, so it was a no-brainer. Just, I know, you just can't get away from it. Growing up, Matt was kept pretty busy on his parents' farm in Inverell. Anything from sheep work, cattle work, um, driving tractors and all the machinery from probably a lot younger age than's recommended. But, yeah, we're just always heavily involved before school, after school, weekends. Just became a life, really. When I left school, I uh, did my trade as a mechanic to go and work for someone else and do something different. And, yeah, it was pretty easy to... Now, after doing that for a few years, I wanted to get back into the farming side and just had to find a way to do it. Matt's goal is to buy and run his own farm one day. He's watched his parents do it, and he's hungry for land of his own. But for Matt, taking over the family farm isn't an option. Oh, possibly one day, like a long time from now, I might inherit a little bit of a farm, but I've not really keen on waiting around for that day to come I'd rather try and build my own business up and yeah get my own thing happening instead of just waiting for it to be handed to me really um so that's why I started contracting it all kicked off a few years ago 
Matt was working as a mechanic and picked up a bit of crop spraying work on the side so he could grow his savings. The first thing I had to do was buy a tractor. I had to wait for my 18th birthday before they would give me finance on a tractor and then went halves with my father on a planter and started, yeah, just started doing a little bit for neighbours and that on weekends. The earnings from his two jobs allowed him to put enough aside to save up for this first tractor deposit. When I bought the first tractor, it was only an older one, but got it while I was still working as a mechanic. And the idea was that I could do a little bit of work on the weekends and slowly pay it off while I was still doing my apprenticeship and come out of it with a tractor already paid off and a bit of a head start into the game, really. When Matt finished up as a mechanic, he moved back home to his parents' farm and then started thinking of his contracting work as a scalable business. I had the one tractor and just was doing a little bit of planting and a little bit of contract work with it. And then when I moved back, I knew I needed to get into something a bit better, to, a bit um, more year-round to supply cash flow. And I... Um, discovered that there was a shortage for um, spray contractors in the area with self-propelled machines to do a lot of in-crop stuff. It was pretty easy to identify like the shortage in the market to get in another spray contractor in the district. Um, the one that was already going, you couldn't get him. Like There was a, about a two or three week wait for him to show up. And um, yeah, I talked to the agronomist and his advice was, if I bought a spray rig set up correctly, he said, you wouldn't have to worry about filling in too many days. He's like, you won't have spare time again, was his advice. So I gathered all the money I could together and bought an old self-propelled spray rig and, yeah, thought it would be sort of two, three days a week maybe. It'd be enough to get enough money for a bit of drinking and partying on weekends and then, yeah, sort of ended up living in the first spray rig for 12 months and, yeah, just couldn't believe how much work was there and how big a shortage there was. And after the first year, traded it in and bought a brand new one. Pretty soon, Matt's side hustle became a full-time gig. In many ways, getting contracting work has never been easier. You see, back in the day, if you wanted to start a contracting business, you usually had to set up a physical shop front make a logo and build a brand, print ads in the local paper. But these days, a bit of word of mouth on social media goes a long way. So Matt has never struggled to find clients. Now, eight years in, he's running two spray rigs and two planters. The area he covers is about 150 k's wide, and the work seems to be chasing Matt more than he's chasing it. It's pretty good. Most people are really good and easy to get along with. you got some people slow paying and everything else, but it sort of averages out where if you've got enough clients, you can sort of wait an extra month or two for a bloke to pay you, but they always do in the end. But yeah, it's been pretty easy and just getting started. Most people see a young bloke come in and yeah, if he wants to do the work and like put the hours in, they'll normally give him a go just to try and see people get out and get started. So yeah, the... Everyone's been really good and haven't had to advertise that much, just word of mouth and soon gets around. Even though he's forging his own path, Matt still takes advantage of his parents' farm. So I've been very lucky. Um, I'm based out of off mum and dad's farm. So 
yeah, dad's got a pretty good shed that we work out of, but most of the time it's just going from job to job and sitting in a paddock, but it's handy to have the workshop back here for any maintenance and that, which works out pretty well. It's nice and central for the area that I look after and dad gets a bit done for nothing every time I go past, so he's happy to cut it out that way. Contracting for Matt is shaping up into a useful gateway to his future farming dream. Sometimes it feels like the contracting business is too effective. It's very full on all the time. Yeah, it doesn't work that well with getting weekends off or having a good sort of social life at times. But I guess you're building up, you're out in the community, you're talking to people, you get to say a lot of things you wouldn't normally and it's a great way to sort of learn and perfect everything like even to be able to build up and have the best planners best spray rigs like you're running the best gear that's around so when you do get your own place you got that ready to roll instead of trying to find a place and then you've got to build up then you got to go and buy tractors and planters and you normally don't have the money to splurge on what you actually need to be up with the top of the industry so yeah I guess that's probably the biggest benefits is you're running the best technology for when you can finally start out like even to the point of setting planters up and just knowing what you can and can't do with moisture and climbing every mountain when you get to it like just trying to get things done and with the spraying side what chemicals work like just the application rates you just you pretty much know everything you need to because you're watching everyone else do it um or give you the instructions on what to do so you can go from a wee spray for an agronomist out west and straight away like you're looking at what he's doing and that's industry best practice because whatever he does he's trying to tell all his neighbors to do the same thing so he's got to be one step in front My goals, there wasn't really much of a vision. It was just sort of trying to get started somewhere and work out the details later. The main plan for a lot of years was when I'd finished my apprenticeship, hopefully we'd had a few good seasons and we were going to be able to expand a little bit with mum and dad's farm. But yeah, we copped a few wet seasons and just frosted years and had a pretty tough run, so... Yeah, that sort of went out the window a little bit to where we were hoping to be. So I didn't want to put my plan back to get back farming, so I found another way to be able to sustain myself on the land and make it work. And that was contracting, yeah. One day, a couple of years ago, Matt realised the workload was growing at a pace he couldn't maintain alone. When the drought sort of finished, I discovered that I'd probably taken on too much of a client base to be able to look after it myself. So we, I went through a pretty major expansion and doubled the business in size. And with that, I had to um, start looking at employing people. And I needed three employees. I could afford one, so I settled for two. Like It was a massive learning curve having people working for me and then it's not only trying to organise your own day, you're trying to organise their day as well and just keep them moving constantly. But, yeah, we've settled into 
one full-time and one pretty well full-time bloke at the moment. Matt does all his own books and roster management. Office admin isn't his favourite part of the job, but it's all valuable skill building. Yeah, yeah, it's really good practice for getting into my own farm one day and, yeah, knowing how all that side works and the GST, like, how much the accountant needs. That's probably the best point I got. All that helped me was making sure you got a good accountant. doesn't matter what they charge if they make your job easier and get you back in the paddy quicker. It's money well spent. The success of the contracting business has accelerated Matt on his path to running and owning his own farm. In the meantime, he's starting to lease some land. Last year I took on a smaller lease place and trying to build that side up now. So sort of the big plan was to get the machinery, get everything that I'd need to farm myself and let everyone else pay for it and then try and get a lease place and just pull in and do my own stuff on the way past and makes it easier to try and make the numbers work then and try and build that up. My lease properties are all cropping. It's not very big. It's, it's almost a pain more than anything, but it's a great place to start. And if we can do a good job on that and get some good yield and do everything properly, then the agronomists soon say that and then hopefully they have an older farmer that's looking to retire or something one day and wants to lease out a bit of land first, then, yeah, they say, oh, this young bloke's doing a really good job with what he's doing and hopefully get a foot in the door that way and try and expand it. I'd really like to get to a point where I can buy my own farm, regardless, like, wouldn't even matter how big it is really, just somewhere to call home and... Um, base out of there and yeah probably the way the market is you just nearly got to lease it lease country now the price of farming land it's nearly it's nearly a bit off-putting actually to try and work out how to buy it at this stage like the numbers almost don't work for a young bloke trying to get in but yeah I guess you got to start somewhere. For Matt the prospect of buying a farm is daunting He's proven he can save effectively and balance the books, but he's worried about his ability to meet the minimum deposit for a farm, which usually requires about 40% up front. Brad Sewell specialises in providing advice to agricultural producers, particularly around property purchasing, liaising with banks and succession planning, all those key elements of running a business. So we asked him what he recommends for someone like Matt, who believes buying a farm feels out of reach. There are certain tactics that young people can uh, potentially use to accelerate the purchase of a property, and some of those tactics are what our business specialise in advising young farmers about. Brad says that in this case, vendor financing is an option to consider. An example of a vendor finance transaction uh, might be where we have a million-dollar property The bank will lend $650,000, for instance, which is 65% loan-to-valuation ratio, which means the young person buying the farm has to find $350,000 plus stamp duty. Now, what they might have, they might have 20% 
of the purchase price and they might have the stamp duty in cash on hand, which means there's a 15% shortfall uh, between the purchase price and the bank, what the bank's prepared to give. So you would, in that case, the young person would sit down with the vendor and ask if the vendor was prepared to leave 15% of the purchase price in as a loan, what we call vendor finance. And the young person might agree to pay the seller of the property an interest rate as if it was like a bank loan. And that interest rate might be around, say, at the moment, three, four or five percent. And they might do it over three or five years with the vendor. This means the person buying the farm doesn't need the whole deposit up front. The outgoing owner can front some of that money as a loan. From the vendor's position, they can take a mortgage on the property behind the bank. It has to be a second mortgage, um, but they are secure in doing that. And it's not just an act of generosity from the owner. The interest repayments mean they can raise more interest revenue than they would have had they just kept that money sitting in the bank. And sometimes older people, if they're retiring from the farm, they may not need the whole million dollars to retire. Uh, If they're going into their local town, they might only need $400,000 to buy a house, uh, say $100,000, $150,000 to buy new furniture and maybe a car. Um, So that's $550,000. And then they might want to put another couple of hundred thousand dollars away, which means they actually don't need the whole million dollars. So the vendor finance can be nearly sort of viewed as an an investment by the vendor in terms of earning maybe 4% from a young person that they sell the property to versus um, 1% from a bank. As long as you, the young person, Uh, negotiates that on commercial terms. Uh, It's surprising how many vendors, particularly older vendors, who in general are keen to see the next generation get a start. Uh, As long as the terms are reasonably commercial, uh, there's an opportunity for those, those young people as the buyer and the person as the seller to come to an agreement where money's left in and that help bridges the shortfall between what a bank will lend and what a young person actually has. Brad says vendor financing isn't discussed widely enough. And actually, more people could be taking advantage of it. It's certainly not a super common way of uh, doing it. It could certainly be more common. I think the reason it's not so evident is one, because people don't know how to do it. They don't know how to, how to ask for it or, or, or what sort of terms they should offer. Uh, and secondly, I think there is a reasonable level of vendor finance, but we just we don't know in the market. So all we hear in the paper or on the radio or wherever is that a property has sold. Uh, I think if you dug deeper into um, more transactions, you'd see that vendor finance was a bit more common than we all realise. But it all comes down to asking um, and knowing how to put your case forward. And that's the bit that's missing is that knowledge. For Matt, it's still early days, but his ambition and motivation are driving him towards that end goal. The end goal is to have enough country where I'm only doing my own stuff, try and phase the contracting out eventually. My dream farm probably would be mostly cropping, but I think it's important to run a mixed sort of venture. Like It's really hard to find a farm that's just all cropping. Like There's always a bit of rougher country or waterways or creeks so I think it's important to run a mixture and you get a year where you might lose a crop or you it's always handy to have a few steers or something there that you can sell to keep a bit of money rolling through. You get a lot of people tell you that you can't do something or there's no point getting into farming or I just like to prove people wrong and that's probably the biggest part and 
yeah, don't want to stuff up, want to try and get there. So I've got this end goal that even I half know is nearly impossible, but it's just a good challenge to yourself, set goals you can't really hit and say what you can do to get there. Or Because a lot of people say bite off more than you can chew than chew like hell. So, yeah, only way to get there, I think. In the next episode of Propagate, the property did two things. It gave us a roof over our head, but also we bought at the lower end of the market and did the little bit of work that we needed to do ourselves um, to then be able to upgrade it to, to make a profit. So you can start small. So what we did is that was it. We were, and we were proud of that as well. So you've got to be proud of what you've done along the way. Every episode of Season 3 is already available right now. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Propagate is brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. Thanks for listening.